Good afternoon, everyone. Um, we've got Natalie that's going to kick off for us. Thanks for taking your time to spend your lunch hour with us today. Um, Natalie, uh, tell us tell us a little bit about High Point Village. Sure. Thanks again, Allison, for partnering with us. So High Point Village is a 501c3 nonprofit out here in Lubbock, Texas, for those of you who haven't joined us before or don't know us. Um, and we are um, a facility that serves um, people with um, intellectual and developmental disabilities. We serve um, adults ages 18 and over in our daily enrichment programs. Those go throughout the year, Monday through Thursday. And then in our afternoon enrichment program, that's for kiddos can come after school or some of the adults come as well. That's for ages eight and up. And um, that runs through sort of on a semester basis. Um, we also have summer camps, which are ages eight and up. And we do have therapies, which are for all ages. We've got music therapy. We're in between speech therapists right now, but we do provide speech therapy as well. Um, we do have a vision for residential. It's part of our um, mission statement and vision that we um, will have a residential facility. And it's really needed out here in West Texas. We're located in West Texas. So that will hopefully be forthcoming here in the next few years. Um, and then I am the social services director. So we've got social services out here helping people out with resource connection, mental health, et cetera, and connecting with wonderful people like Allison's group to try to make sure everyone is aware of what benefits there are out there. Um, we do have a website, um, highpointvillage.org, and we do have a social services tab where we have a lot of these resources. I've typed up handouts or, you know, you can download it or print it out or whatever. And then we do link um, all of these webinars we've been doing with CPG, we link their little YouTube channel um, videos to those as well. So um, join us there and take a look at our website if you want to learn more about us. But um, back to Allison. Well, Natalie, back to you because we want to know about the summer camps. Some families are still looking for summer camps for their kids. So I'm just curious um, if you can give us a range on cost of summer camps and if you still have um, availability uh, for slots and what ages you serve on those summer camps. Yeah, I believe this year for in years past, things have changed this year. So forgive me for um, kind of bumbling that a little bit, but we do have there are um, four different camps. I believe it's art, um, cooking, sports, and there's one I'm forgetting. And they are, they're really sort of local because they're only for about an hour and a half in the afternoon throughout the summer months for like from 4.30 to 5.30. So it's not an overnight camp that we offer, but it is open to anyone who would like to sign up. So that registration link is on our website and you'll see a summer camp link on there. Um, so those are starting to fill up. I don't believe they're completely full. Um, and then the cost, it sort of varies in between, but it's really affordable. I want to say it's like between 50 and $75 for the, um, it's the 10 to 12 week session coming once a week. Um, so those are a great chance to get to know High Point Village and again, have access for, for kiddos um, to come out and have something to do. And we um, try to make it lots of fun, but it is for varying ages. Awesome. And also, um, <clears throat> the Consolidated Planning Group YouTube channel, we do have a summer camp webinar out there that we did a couple of months ago. And I think that was like 12 to 15 different camps, and they all serve special needs. And basically, it was just a, a quick um, who we are, who we serve, how much we cost, where we're located kind of deal. They, so they they each just talked just a quick minute about that. So if you're still looking for those options, find that um, on our YouTube channel. So 
Um, just for a couple of um, housekeeping items today, um, we are in webinar mode. I always tell people that, so that means that we can't see you or hear you, but we do know that you're out there, and we do invite you as we're going through the presentation today to put your questions in the chat box. Um, today's uh, presentation is being recorded. It'll um, move to the podcast channel, to the YouTube channel as well, and everybody that registered for today's presentation will get a copy of today's slides, so if you're listening to us, on a podcast and you want a copy of these slides, you can email us at contact at cpgcares.net and we will be happy to provide a copy of the slides uh, to you. I'm Allison Scoberg, uh, owner of Consolidated Planning Group. We are a holistic special needs financial planning firm. Uh, if this is your first time uh, joining a webinar with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you've um, heard us before and you're back, we are certainly glad that you are back. Um, you know, we you know we talk about a holistic you know special needs financial planning firm, and sometimes that word holistic is a little bit confusing. <clears throat> but when it comes to planning for special needs, our situation is truly specialized. Um, it's so super important that we have money in the right buckets and um, that we plan accordingly for a loved one that may have care needs for the rest of their life, not just ours. Um, we are nationally certified as Social Security Advisors. We're members of the Special Needs Planning Academy and baptized by fire. I, Although we do this professionally, I am also a parent um, to two kids with disabilities that have transitioned into adulthood. So I come to you with a lot of experience both personally and, uh, and professionally. So <clears throat> today uh, we are going to be talking about ABLE accounts and do you do you need an ABLE account? Um, and kind of getting in the weeds with that, we kind of talked a little bit more about having money in the right buckets. And a lot of times, you know, as parents with kids with disabilities, if they're under age 18, we don't even really know what this means about having money in the right buckets because a lot of times our kids don't qualify for state or federally funded programs that matters what money and what buckets they're, they're in. All of those things change when our child with a disability turns 18. Um, the things that they may have not qualified before um, for before uh, is, is basically because as parents, you maybe had, you know, too much income, your income was too high or you had too many assets, and so therefore they didn't qualify. It didn't mean that they weren't disabled. It just meant based off of the guidelines, they don't qualify because it's based off of your assets and income. So a lot of things change um, when we have um, a child that turns 18. What used to be based off of our assets and income changes over, and then, and then it's basically based off of their assets and income. And so right now what I'm speaking of is, is basically um, SSI and Medicaid. So SSI is a program um, through the Social Security Administration. It's a means-based program and it is for the disabled and for the indigent. And so that indigent test or uh, lack of income or low income is another name for that. Um, they're, they're looking to see, does the person have more than $2,000 in their name? 
Um, they can have one car, they can have one house, they're looking at income. And that's why our kids all these years maybe weren't qualifying for SSI and Medicaid. Now, there are um, times where maybe a parent has lost a job or their income isn't as high as it once was, and maybe they qualified for SSI with the child as a minor, but when the parent went back to work or they had more assets in their name, then they lost that qualification. So here at CPG, you know, when we talk about special needs planning, we're putting plans in place for the for the entire family, keeping in mind that we have a child that has care needs that are going to have care needs possibly for the rest of their life, not just ours. And to quantify that for you, most people aren't ready for retirement. Most people would say we need to save more money if we're going to spend 25 to 35 years in retirement. But when we have a loved one with a disability with care needs for the rest of their life, it's almost like a third retirement bucket. So if you're married, um, you know, you've got two retirements. And then if we have a child with special needs, that's like a third retirement. And some families that we work with have more than one child with a disability. So careful planning really goes um goes into this. We help people set up lifetime care plans. We talk about transition planning, uh, a lot of advocacy, which we do through these webinars and, and also in helping people, providing them with tools and resources of programs that they might be eligible for um, that are available that a lot of times people don't know about. Um, you know, a lot of people, most of the people that we work with have a financial advisor, that, an advisor that they've worked with in the past, and, that, and that's great. We're never here to rain on any great relationships that anybody already has in place. But what we like to explain is the difference of a financial uh, advisor, a special needs advisor, and a special needs attorney or an estate planning attorney. So there's over 265,000 advisors in the U.S., financial advisors, and fewer than one-tenth of a percent of all financial advisors, about 100, 150 total in the U.S., have any background in special needs. And the reason we talk about this is because your situation is specialized, you do need a specialist. And what we see is when you're you know, have an advisor that doesn't have a background or understanding of, of the state and federally funded programs that your disabled child may qualify for, sometimes we end up with mistakes, critical mistakes that cost benefits um, to our kids. So we're the money side. I always say we're the money and uh, they're the paper when it comes to the estate planning attorneys or the special needs attorneys. Um, the special needs attorney, uh, they don't really do what we do. They're, they're not the money side. They're not how much do you fund the special needs trust. They're not in the weeds on all the social security um, applying for SSI and Medicaid and, you know, those qualifications and things. They're really going to spend more time with you on those legal documents, those wills, first party, third party, special needs trust, discussions surrounding guardianship or alternatives to guardianship is what those attorneys are going to do. We work very closely with them um, in implementing your plan. But a lot of times we get calls at our office saying, hey, I need guardianship and we're going to refer um, to an attorney. We re we um, have, you know, relationships with attorney all, all across the state that are specialized um, with special needs. And what I would say in all all of this is it's just really not a DIY project. Um, 
you know, you are not going to want to hire your neighbor next door, you know, who is a real estate attorney or a corporate law attorney. You really want to work with a specialist when it comes to your legal documents, things that we've seen where people have done it themselves or they, you know, had a family member that was a real estate attorney, you know, draw up documents. A lot of times those documents are wrong and you really end up um, spending extra money going to someone who is specialized with special needs. So I always just like to talk about that. Um, and we will talk more about some of these um, things like guardianship and special needs trust as we go through this presentation. So today, <clears throat> ABLE accounts, 529A, the ABLE Act, um, under the tax code in 2014, Achieving a Better Life Experience Act is basically what this is. Um, in 2022, there was over 49 ABLE programs nationwide. And the ABLE account is similar to a traditional 529 plan. Sometimes those 529 plans are called 529Cs for college. Um, and so basically, you do not have to have the state in which you live's ABLE account. You can have ABLE accounts from all ac across the country. It doesn't really matter which state you're in. Um, but So we're going to be kind of talking about the high level of 529, uh, basically how they work, um, how, how we can put money into them, how we get money out of them. But the key thing um, and why there's always all this buzz in the special needs community about an ABLE account and why we might need one is because the money that is in an ABLE account does not count against our kids for state or federally funded programs. It doesn't jeopardize SSI or Medicaid or other public benefits. So as I mentioned earlier, SSI, Supplemental Security Income, is a means-based program. It's for the indigent and for the disabled. And so the requirements for that is that the individual can have more than $2,000 in their name. They can have one house, they can have one car, and no more than $2,000 in their name unless it is that extra over the $2,000 is in an ABLE account or a special needs trust, okay? So one of the differences of an ABLE account versus a 529C, a 529C, typically the parent or the grandparent is the owner of a 529C, and then the kid that's gonna go to college is the beneficiary on a 529C. So a 529A is gonna work a little bit different because actually the individual with a disability is the account owner. Um, one of the very cool things um, in an ABLE account is the income in, in the account is not taxable. There's tax-free growth, tax-free distributions, as long as we're making distributions in the account for the, the for the benefit of said child, and it those distributions are going towards something that could be construed as achieving a better life um, for an individual with a disability. So. Um, what do we have to do to qualify? So I recognize that when we have, um, you know, people joining us by podcast or by webinar, it doesn't mean that they all have kids that are under 18 or just turning 18. We may have people on here that are 75 years old and have a 52-year-old loved one with a disability. So as of now, as of what the law states right now, the people that are eligible to participate in an ABLE account, their disability had to begin prior to age 26. It doesn't mean that you had to open an ABLE account prior to age 26, but the disability had to begin prior to age 26. The law has um, 
been approved to update in 2026, and that age is going up to age 46. So 46 is what it's going up to. It hasn't yet. It's been approved, and that law change will take effect in 2026, just so you know. Um, Okay, so as far as contributions, well, first of all, you can only have one ABLE account. You can't have ABLE accounts all over the place. The the individual with a disability can only have one ABLE account. Um, Contributions may be made by anyone. So if grandma and grandpa want to make a birthday gift or, um, you know, it's the kids own money. Maybe they had money from earnings. Um, maybe a parent wants to contribute. Anybody can contribute. The, the amount that you can put into an ABLE account uh, is a hundred uh, up to a total of $100,000 before you disqualify for SSI. So let me clarify that because I think I just said that a little bit backwards. The amount that we can put in per year into an ABLE account is $17,000 a year. So that's the annual um, gift tax exclusion. It's currently $17,000. It changes each year. So that's the number for 2023. If the individual with a disability is working, there is an additional contribution amount that you can put of $13,590 into an ABLE account. So that's for 2023. So what we have to be careful of on the ABLE account is we never want our account balance to go over $100,000 because if it does, then it will be counted against them for SSI and Medicaid purposes. So I'm just going to take a pause just for a second um, and talk about Medicaid for a second, because a lot of times people will say to me, well, what do I care about Medicaid? I don't care about Medicaid. We have private health insurance and Medicaid isn't great. And our doctors and are in network with Medicaid and, you know, we don't like Medicaid. So why do we care if we maintain our Medicaid eligibility? The reason as a family, if you have group health insurance, that is great. The reason you care about that Medicaid eligibility is all of the waivers in Texas, and quite honestly, there are Medicaid waivers in every state. So if you're joining us from another state, all of those waivers require Medicaid eligibility, which is less than $2,000 assets in their name, one house, one car, right? And so the reason we care about that Medicaid eligibility for those waivers, waivers are designed, they're for individuals with a disability, and they are designed to waive off some of the cost of care associated with caring for an individual with a disability. Now in Texas, the waiting list for waivers is about 17 years. It's very long. They're very behind. So it could be a number of years before you're ever going to get services. But these waiver budgets, um, some of them are up to $340,000 a year. It's a big deal. They are designed to keep your loved one with a disability in home and community-based services and out of an institution is basically what these waivers are designed to do. And they waive off some of the cost of care associated, such as providing attendant services, respite services, various therapy services. So I know that was kind of a little uh, rabbit hole on that, but I just want to make sure that people understand that even if you say, okay, well, we're super affluent. We have a ton of money. We have plenty of money to fund the special needs trust. We don't care, um, you know, about Medicaid. Sometimes we still do care about Medicaid because of those waivers. So I just want to put that out there. Another thing on this contribution, sometimes people will message me and they'll say, 
Uh, I read online that we could have up to $500,000 in an ABLE account. Okay, yes, that is true. But if you have one penny over $100,000 in an ABLE account, they will disqualify for SSI and Medicaid. So that is the, the key important note um, to have there. So distributions are for qualified disability expenses are not taxable. Um, earnings on distributions for non-qualified expenses are subject to ordinary income tax and a 10% penalty. So the key again is tax-free growth and investments. You can change the, uh, the investments uh, twice a year. It can be rolled over to other family members who are eligible um, beneficiaries, you know, if, if we don't need this anymore. But one thing that is important to, to understand is states may be able to claim reimbursement for expenses paid by Medicaid. So at death of the individual with a disability, if there's money left over in the account, there is a such thing as a Medicaid payback. Medicaid paybacks, you can Google this, um, and they have a calculation on the Social Security website, Medicaid um, Health and Human Services. It's very convoluted and very complicated, but there is a such thing as Medicaid paybacks. Um, okay. Natalie, do we have a question? Um, yes, it just popped up. Sorry about that. Um, it says, okay, and you still have a webinar on waivers. If we do a consultation, will you help guide through the waivers? Money is tight, obviously special needs. I have a state paperwork already set up with a special needs trust. Oh, sorry, my thing goes off. I still have a ton of debt, but I want to be able to pay into things to set up self and kids for success, needing additional guidance. So sure, so um, what I would say on that, at CPG we always do a free initial consultation. So if a person is on here and they have like one-off things that, um, that they wanna talk about, we're happy to schedule a free personalized consultation to talk through all of that. And yes, um, she is exactly right. We do have a full webinar on waivers on how to get on the interest list. And, and we walk through, we have different plans on doors that people can walk through at CPG. And we have plans that's a special needs track that we basically tell you exactly how to apply and when to apply for SSI, um, Medicaid, how to get on the state waivers interest list, you know, what to do, what not to do, and other various programs that might be out there for special needs. So we can definitely help um, in that area. So let's talk about qualified disability expenses. That is a very broad term and that is to your benefit that it's a broad term. So the bottom line with an ABLE account is if it can be construed as achieving a better life for an individual with a disability, you can pay for it out of an ABLE account. The cool thing is, is you can still pay for college out of an ABLE account. Some of us don't know if our kids are going to go to college or not, okay? So an ABLE account can pay for college, but it could also pay for transition programs, uh, enrichment programs. It could pay for movie tickets. It could pay for a car, adaptive equipment, computers. It could even take, pay for a vacation for the individual and one to two caregivers. And I always joke here and say, okay, you can't take the whole family on a vacation. Don't get crazy. Um, but for an individual um, with a disability and one to two caregivers. So basically, if you can think it up, most things can be construed as achieving a better life for an individual with a disability. So um, basic di living expenses, health and wellness, um, rent, 
our mortgage payments. Um, you you can pay that that really basically one of the big things that people ask us is, I have a special needs trust, so tell me again why I need an ABLE account. Um, and one of the reasons is, is if the individual is getting SSI, uh, if you pay for food and shelter, SSI is designed to pay for food and shelter. So if you pay for food and shelter out of a special needs trust, you absolutely can do that. You can, but there will be a one-third reduction to SSI. So if you pay for food and shelter out of an ABLE account or their account that the SSI goes to, there will not be a one-third reduction from SSI. So an ABLE account can pay monthly debt service for food and shelter, whereas a special needs trust, although it can, there would be a one-third reduction to SSI. So to avoid that, that's one reason why you might need an ABLE account and a special needs trust. Um, qualified expenses, financial management, administrative services, legal expenses, our services, lawyer um, fees could be covered um, out of an ABLE account, transportation, um, Uber, cars, you know, public transportation. There's, I mean, I mean, the list is really on and on and on. I mean, uh, we could go on for many reasons on why um, a, you know, a person, how an expense could be construed as achieving a better life for an individual with a disability. Okay, so if we go back, I'm just going to go back just for a second. So you look at this slide, and this looks like, wow, a special needs trust can pay for way more. It's just the way the slide is laid out. Um, so you know, th this slide is, you know, we're talking about the qualified expenses for an able account. And here we're talking about what can a special needs trust pay for. Well, this looks like a longer list, and it's not necessarily, but the main thing that you, you have to know on the, on the special needs trust is never do we want to pay the individual directly out of a special needs trust. It will be counted as income against them. So we would want to pay for services for on behalf of the individual to the provider. So for instance, if we were going to pay AT&T for their mobile phone, we would pay AT&T directly, not send them the money and then have them pay um, AT&T. And that's true for everything. We would pay the college direct directly or the transition program directly um, for the cost associated for the programs that they're in as opposed to paying them. Okay. So again, the biggest thing that you need to know on a special needs trust is although a um, special needs trust can pay for food and shelter, monthly food and shelter. If you do, there would be a one-third reduction to SSI. Okay, so and this we've kind of belabored this a, a, a lot, but examples of a special needs trust should not pay for so rent, mortgage pay, um, payments, real estate taxes, gas, electricity, water, sewage, homeowners insurance. We don't want to do cash. We don't want to do food, and no reimbursement to the client. And I I just need to just talk about the reimbursement because um, I'm a Zelle and a cash app person. And, you know, I, you know, obviously kids need money and kids ask for money and it's just so easy to cash up or sell them. But you want to be real careful doing that um, because if you do that and they're getting SSI, when SSI does a, a financial review, they're going to count that as income um, to the kid. So the smarter thing to do is to put money into their ABLE account and then take a distribution from the ABLE account, which would go to their SSI account, and then they can spend the money 
money right straight out of their, their account with their debit card. So put the money to the ABLE account, make a distribution from the ABLE account to the individual's account. And basically how that works is these distributions will go direct deposit to their same account um, that, that goes to their SS, their SSI goes to. And as far as, you know, requesting, um, you know, distributions, you're going to want to request those the first through the fifth of the month. Okay. Um, because once the money is deposited into the account, once you request the money, it's usually the trade day plus three before the money goes into their account. They have until the end of the month not a month from the day they got the money, but the month, the calendar month. So if we're in May, they would have until May 31st to spend that money. Any excess money in the account after the 31st of the month would be counted against them for SSI purposes. So that's why I recommend, um, first of all, if you're going to make a distribution from the ABLE account, don't make it for more than what you think you might need. So if you think you need $2,000, it's fine to do a, di a distribution from the um, ABLE account of $2,000 into that account, but you're gonna wanna make sure that you have expenses that are gonna um, cover those $2,000 before the end of the month. So I know that was a mouthful, but I uh, oftentimes there's confusion on how do we get money out of this or how do we spend um, spend money and that's basically the right the right way to go about that um, okay so you know since we're talking about 529a able and of course a 529 able can pay for higher education we do have complete webinars on our youtube channel about educational options um, for individuals with disabilities, including intellectual disabilities. There's a lot of programs all across the state of Texas uh, that are available, um, you know, to our families. And I always say, you know, I don't work for them and they don't work for us. You know, we partner and we learn about their programs and we have a lot of families that we serve that have had kids that have gone to these programs. Um, so what I would say is if, <clears throat> if, you know, if your child is in high school and they're maybe in an 18 plus program, or they're going to be graduating, check into these programs early, see which one might be a great fit for you, apply early, they don't have unlimited seats. Natalie, do we have a question? We do. Um, the question is, so the money taken out of an ABLE account needs to be spent by the end of the month? That's right. If the money that was re, um, taken out of the ABLE account is going to put the kid's account over $2,000 once they get their SSI, you absolutely need to get it spent down um, prior to the end of the month. I just suggest spending it down period um, prior to the end of the month. And I'll, I'll say one thing just for me, it helps to sometimes understand why there's these weird rules because they're hard to remember. Basically, the state is saying if you can afford to pay for these things like rent, um, then you don't need SSI. And so that's why they're real picky and make all these confusing rules. But that is where this ABLE account can come in handy because they don't count it against you. But again, just spend it down. Well, you know, Natalie, again, you know, we are nationally certified as Social Security Advisors. And I jokingly say that we have a stump the chump question every every week. It, we learn something new. Um, and there was a, a webinar that we were on and he's like a Cornell University guy or something like that and and he was talking about the of the 13 programs that the Social Security Administration has that there's like 2600 rules 
So if you ever feel confused, um, that's why. And a lot of times even, you know, it's just, it's too much for one person, even they work for the Social Security Administration uh, to know all of those things. So it is truly, truly confusing. And we have another question. Oh, I think you're on mute. So sorry. She was just responding saying thanks. Um, I was missing that key point about the $2,000. Yes, that that's the, the magic and in, in really everything is that, that, that the $2,000, I mean, like panic. Don't have more than $2,000. If you take one, <laughs> one message away, if your child is getting Medicaid, if you are ever hopeful that they're going to get a Medicaid waiver, um, you know, never, if they're getting SSI, just know they should never, ever, ever have more than $2,000, ever. And, and if they do, it should be in an ABLE account or a special needs trust or a combination of the two. It is just critically uh, important. Okay. So um, this, um, we, you know, we talk about day and transition programs. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to, to kids, I'm going to go back here a minute. When it comes to, you know, kids, a lot of our kids are not ready yet. They're, maybe they're not ready yet for higher education at age 18. And I always say, you know, they are where they, they are where they are. Who cares? Let's not rush them. They're going to get where they're going. Our kids and their brains are not even fully formed until they're 26. So it might be a while. It's okay. But there is a ton of programs out there, day and transition programs. Um, I know Natalie was talking about a few that they have. They are all over the state. We do have a list um, of programs that are all over the state. And again, we don't work for them. They don't work for us. But we like to see families that have a plan um, post post high school, you know, um, so are they going to stay in the public school to age 18? Are they going to go to the 18 plus program? What we're trying to see is that there is a plan for something we don't want them to come home and play video games all day, right? And not have interaction with other people or be growing their independent living skills or some of those things. So just know that there's a lot of programs out there that they're definitely worth checking into. Sometimes there are long waiting lists for those programs. So you're going to want to get yourself on the list. Some of those programs require that you tour prior to get on their getting on their waiting list. Um, and I say touring is, you know, is it's well worth your time because you're going to be able to find out if it's really a good fit for your child um, or not. And then of course, if you're on the, the waiting list and you come up, you reserve the right to say no. But if you're not on the list, you have not reserved the right to say yes. Okay, let's see here. No additional questions at this time, Natalie? No. Hmm. I don't know what I just did. Hold on one second, I lost my slides, so bear with me just for a second. I think we have to start, uh, just bear with me. Having a little difficulty. Are you guys seeing my slides? Um, we were, <laughs> but now we just see you. Okay, bear with me one second. Sure. We do have another question, but let me know when you're ready. 
Yeah, I'm ready. I'm just grabbing those slides uh, again. So sure, I'm happy to take that question. Okay, it says, I'm in El Paso. Do you know where I can request a similar list to your transition and residential programs locally? So we one of the lists that we do have, um, it, it has them all over the state. It's not just in um, not just in our area. So I would say grab our grab our list. And and usually um, what I would also say is oftentimes the arc uh, is also a, a pretty good place uh, to to ask for lists and things like that. So um, and and Natalie, do you guys keep any kind of list like that? Um, not for the entire state. We've got relationships with a lot of the people that you had on your list. I mean, I do know, you know, I think for El Paso, I don't know of anything closer than DRI and Abilene. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but, um, sometimes people do have to look a ways outside of their, their local vicinity for the best, um, placements for, um, their loved one. But I, I can't think of anything that's in the El Paso area. You can um, you can certainly email our office, and then we'll be happy to you know send you any list that we have, and you can you can check those out. And some of the things, um, what I would also say is, don't be afraid of ones that may be outside of your area too. You know, look, you're looking for a good fit, um, and so you know, keep an open mind. I mean, Texas is obviously a big state, so you know, if you're in El Paso, that's a far cry from Houston. Um, you know, you know, there are. There there are, there are definitely programs all across the state and they serve, um, you know, different, different disabilities. Some serve others better than, than others. Some might be a great fit for your child. Some might not, you know, every, but everybody's loved one has, you know, different quirks um, where they might fit or they might need a higher level of care. They may have aggression and that may limit some of the things that, you know, some of the places that they can go. So we always kind of talk about that. So, from a perspective of things to keep on your um, radar, we always talk about these because um, it's so important and we do have webinars on every single one of these topics. So, you know, we scratch the surface on SSI and Medicaid. Um, we scratch the surface on um, Texas waivers and interest lists. We talked about ABLE accounts. Um, we scratched the surface on a special needs trust. Um, all of these topics, we have full um, one hour webinars on these topics. So if you want to learn more, uh, our YouTube channel, the Consolidated Planning uh, YouTube channel was certainly born out of my own frustration on how difficult it is to learn all of this stuff. Um, you know, it's like our, our life is busy and hectic and difficult on a good day and then trying to wrap your brain around all of these things that you need to know and how you sh shouldn't accidentally mess this up. I, I just thought it was pretty overwhelming and I sleep and breathe this, 
this is what I do. And when I was going through this with my own kids transitioning, I thought it was crazy. So that's how this YouTube channel was born and our podcasts were born um, is to really just um, equip you with the tools and resources that you need as a parent to be successful in navigating the landscape of, of special needs for your loved one. Um, so on our YouTube channel, the Consolidated Planning Group YouTube channel, there's over 200 webinars on related topics. They're all free. You can subscribe for free, listen to them when you want to. Um, one of the things that we um, do talk about is um, beneficiary designations. This comes up on e almost every single one of our webinars. I've kind of beat to death the $2,000. We don't want more than $2,000 in our um, child's name. One of the mistakes that we commonly see is that people name their special needs child as a beneficiary. So you should hear me when I tell you, you should never name your special needs child as a beneficiary on anything you have. Bank accounts, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, 401ks, life insurance, the list goes on and on. We don't ever want to name the child outright as a beneficiary. Um, the reason we don't want to do this is because if something happens to you, then little Johnny gets more than $2,000 in his name, and then he loses SSI and Medicaid unless uh, you hire an attorney and you get it moved to a first-party special needs trust. A first-party special needs trust has a Medicaid payback on it. Sometimes some of the attorneys that we work with call it an oops trust. Oops, somebody left my child money and they shouldn't have, and now I need a first-party special needs trust with a Medicaid payback. Whereas the right way to leave money to your loved one with, a, with special needs is to a third-party special needs trust, also known as a supplemental needs trust or supplemental care trust, third-party special needs trust for the benefit of said child, then the money goes into the right bucket. There is no Medicaid payback on a third-party special needs trust, and it does not jeopardize their um, SSI and Medicaid. So uh, I'd be happy to take another question, Natalie. Yeah, it says, I just want clarification about the $100,000 cap for the, ABLE account, for the ABLE Act. Once it goes back down, it can be added to again? Yes. Yes. So we don't want it to grow over $100,000 and we never want to contribute more than $100,000. And once it goes back down, yes, it could be added to again. So if if it's close, you know, you're going to want to take a distribution. I mean, there's always far more, you know, expenses that we have for our kids than $17,000 a year, right? If we think about all the money that we spend on our kids, right? $17,000 a year is that annual um that annual contribution. So most people, um, my suggestion is give and take away, put the money in, take the money out for, for, for the needs because it is growing um, tax-free. So there's different strategies on how to take the money out for sure. Okay, um, guardianship. I just wanna hit on um, guardianship. Again, complete webinars on this topic. This is um, something that's very near and dear to many people's hearts when we have kids that are turning 18. Um, in the state of Texas, the law says the least restrictive, most appropriate for the ward, W-A-R-D. Um, so that's what they're looking for. There's alternatives to guardianship. So guardianship takes their full rights away, the right to marry, the right to vote, the right to drive. There is a such thing as partial guardianship. 
There is um, a supported decision-making agreement in Texas. Not all states have a supported decision-making agreement. So if you're from out of state, you'll want to check on that. Um, such thing as power of attorney and healthcare power of attorney. You can um, start the guardianship process with an attorney six months prior to um, your child turning 18. If they're already over 18, it's not you're not too late to the party. You can still have these conversations with, um, um, you know, with an attorney on that. And I always like to mention here that you don't have to know what you need. Okay, because sometimes the situation is gray. It's not clear. Um, the attorney is going to walk through with you what your options are and what you're going to have to prove to be able to get guardianship. There's always going to be a CME, um, which is going to be um, basically a medical doctor signing off the fact that a person needs guardianship. That would have to happen. And just because the CME is signed does not mean that the judge will necessarily agree. So, where it starts getting gray is when we have kids that are maybe on the high-functioning autism spectrum, maybe they're ADHD, maybe they're a little bit late to the party from a maturity perspective, but maybe they don't have an intellectual disability. Um, the other place that's gray that I just want to mention is sometimes most of our kids will sign anything we put in front of them. So if you want them to sign a healthcare power of attorney and power of attorney and supported decision-making agreement, if they have the capacity to sign, they'll sign it if you ask them to, right? But if they have an intellectual disability, it could be construed that they don't have the capacity to understand what they're signing and that those documents could be rendered null. And, and not accepted in a medical facility or not accepted at all. So that's why you want to make careful decisions, and that's why you really want to talk to an attorney about this. And again, they're um, not going to push you one way or the other. They're going to talk to you and educate you about it, and so that way you can make an informed decision for your loved one. Um, what's our next question, Natalie? It says, can I use ABLE account money for a down payment on a home for my son and live in help, even if the home is not in his name? So if the home is not in his name, it, 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 I guess it would depend on if it was in a special needs trust. That's probably a great area and you can one off with me and we'll, we'll research that. I mean, it can definitely pay for food and shelter. Let me just go back here. So I know that the special needs trust can buy an, a house outright. Like so, so in the bottom right hand corner, buying a house or real property based off of the trustee's discretion, we can definitely do that. That. Um, so, and it can pay for housing, but if it's not their house, I, I, I think it, it definitely pays for rent, right? Okay. So when we're paying rent, we don't, they don't own it. They're just living there. So, so I'd have to research that a little bit further. That's a valid question, but I do know that a, um, that a trust can definitely pay for a house outright. Okay, so um, the post high school options, we had some of those options on our slide. So, you know, kind of looking at those and, and considering those, you know, some families come to me because they're concerned. They want to know how much do we need to fund a special needs trust and, and we do future care cost estimates. And I say that we do them um, small, medium and large. At CPG, what we like to do is plan for the worst and hope for the best, okay? 
Um, and, and what I mean by that is, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of our families, when their kids are 18, even neurotypical kids at 18 are not what they're going to be at 26 or 30, right? So while we're getting where we're going, we're going to plan for the worst, and we're still hopeful and optimistic that the best is going to happen um, uh, for, for our kids. But these future care cost estimates, we'll, we'll do them small, medium, and large. What if our child needs some care? What if they need a, uh, attendant services? What if we know for sure they're going to need full care? They're gonna, maybe they're going to need full residential care. It's the end of the line. When I'm gone, it's, it's done. There is nobody else, so somebody else is going to have to intervene. So we're able to put those estimates uh, together and really develop a comprehensive special needs care plan going forward. So I mentioned our YouTube channel. Um, today you're going to get a copy of these slides, and it's going to have uh, this link here, which is going to be our upcoming webinars where you can register for any of our upcoming webinars, and it'll show the various topics. Um, and so you can kind of peruse those and see um, if those are appropriate for the kind of the step and the stage of planning that you guys are on. Um, we work on a collaborative team here at Consolidated Planning Group. I always like to have some pictures with the names. So whether you work with me, you guys, um, I know that Michelle has partnered with um, High Point Village and Natalie several times on these webinars in the past. So you may have met uh, Michelle in the past, but we always just like you to have some faces uh, with the names. Um, we're um, definitely here to help. We are. We always offer a free personalized consultation, um, usually in a format like this. We have people that maybe we're a little shy. They don't want to say, you know, they don't want to put everything out there, but we can definitely help you. Um, our consultations, um, our initial consultations are 45 minutes long. This QR code that you're seeing on, the, um, on your screen, and you're going to get an email with this, um, will take a link to our, take you to a link on our calendar and you can schedule yourself for an initial consultation. During that consultation, um we're going to ask uh, a little bit more about you. We'll have a family questionnaire that you'll get ahead of the um, consultation. It'll probably take you three to five minutes to complete. And that's just so our team can be prepared um, and, and be able to talk um, to you about the things that you want to talk about during that time. So during that consultation, we're going to learn a little bit more about your family, <clears throat> your loved one with a disability, what's really important to you. We'll share a little bit more about who we are and how we work and the various doors that you can walk with, um, walk through with CPG, and together we can decide if that makes sense for us to talk going um, going forward. So what I would say is. Um, yay you for being here today. Um, it's not about looking back about what you haven't done or beating yourself up or anything like that. It's about moving forward. Um, a lot of people have had things on the shelf for a long time, things on their list that they wanted to get taken care of and that maybe they just haven't had time because we have one crisis after another that happens in our life. Um, but we're here to help you pick up. Um, maybe you've done a lot of planning, um, but you haven't worked with somebody that you know is nuanced and special needs. Maybe you've done very little, or maybe you just need to pick up where you left off. And it honestly, it just doesn't matter. Um, we're here to learn where you are, and then we'll meet you where you are and help you get where you need to be. So um, I'd like to just close with any other questions, Natalie. I don't see any other ones. I have a lot of thank yous that are popping up and um, I want to thank you again. You've just been so helpful. I know I've sent a few questions your way and a few people your way. And we do, as far as partnering with High Point and CPG, we've got one more July 25th, I believe, which is on the special needs trust. But of course, you're 
YouTube channel has a lot of those already recorded for anyone who's kind of under a time constraint. But if you want to be live and ask questions, um, we'll be here again with CPG on the 25th of July. Did I say that? And, and just so you guys know, um, on that, when we're, when we're talking about guardianship and special needs trusts and stuff, guys, I know a lot about that, and I could do the whole presentation, but when we're talking about special needs trusts and guardianship, we really partner with attorneys, and we have an, a, a live attorney specialized in the law in Texas, specialized in working with special needs that's going to talk to our families about that. So um, it's really great free information that you probably would have to pay for if you went and had the consultation with the attorney. So um, so definitely check that out. And Natalie, certainly it's our pleasure partnering with you guys again. Yes, definitely join us back um, on any additional webinars that we have um, coming up. And guys, go check out High Point Village. Uh, see what they have to offer. It sounds like there's a lot of um, programs, so check out their um, their website and the programs that they have to offer. And it's certainly been my pleasure to be with you guys today. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. Take care. You too. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.